Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, episode 143 with Eduardo Gomez, head of customer support at Purse.io. We talk about Bitcoin as a source of truth in Venezuela. So first, this podcast is brought to you by Kraken Exchange, one of the world's leading and longest standing Bitcoin exchanges. Consistently rated the best, they've got a high quality platform offering some of the best liquidity in the industry. They've got high trading volume and low fees with no minimum or hidden fees. Kraken have 24-7 support. They also offer an OTC desk for those seeking higher touch large block trades. They offer Kraken Pro mobile app, Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about the Kraken Exchange in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced trading on the go. Kraken also offer Kraken Margin up to five times and Futures up to 50 times. And also, if you haven't already, you must check out CryptoWatch platform. CryptoWatch is a charting and trading terminal for Bitcoin markets, providing one powerful interface to scan prices, analyze market movements, and make trades on every major exchange. Go to kraken.com. This episode also presented to you by Unchained Capital, a Bitcoin financial services company providing services built on the foundation of multi-signature. Unchained offer a two of three multi-signature vault. You can use Trezor or Ledger. There's a web interface and cold card is coming soon as well, actually. And these are a great option if you're thinking through how best to secure your Bitcoin for the long term. And then if you need to access USD liquidity, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, Unchained offer collateralized loans. So you can put up some Bitcoin. It's stored on chain, dedicated multi-sig addresses, and it's never rehypothecated. They're continually iterating on the product, and you can see that with Caravan and an external spend workflow. Go and look them up at unchained-capital.com. Next, check out givebitcoin.io, the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me, I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They didn't know what they were receiving. That's why there's value in Give Bitcoin. You can buy Bitcoin for your friends and family with just an email address and that gift is time-locked with a regulated US custodian for one year. During that time, Give Bitcoin is delivering monthly lessons to that recipient. And there's a lot of well-known Bitcoiners involved, such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Citizen Bitcoin, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake assisting with the curriculum. You can also get Bitcoin, and there's a new product coming called Save Bitcoin under the overarching brand of Swan. So make sure you keep an eye out and check them out at givebitcoin.io. Have you got a hardware wallet, and have you backed up your seed? Check out CypherSafe at cyphersafe.io, producing the Cypher Wheel product. If you've got a BIP39 seed, right, like your cold card, Trezor, Ledger, is it backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, petproof, and tamper-evident? The Cypher Wheel masks the words of your seed, and it's got a padlock tamper-evident seal, so you know if it's been opened. CypherSafe are also working on the stainless steel alloy used to provide more corrosion resistance and otherwise the product scored an A versus heat and crushing on Jameson Lobb's recent round of physical seed testing. So make sure you or your loved ones have access to bitcoins if an accident occurs. Orders should be going out in early February. Go and order yours at cyphersafe.io. One interesting theme that came out to me from this discussion was the use of bitcoin as a source of truth in determining a better exchange rate for people wanting to send money back home. We also talk about the Petro, we talk about stable coins, what's needed in terms of tooling and education, and also we touch on Bitcoin in Argentina. Here is the interview. Eduardo, welcome to the show. Um, thank you so much for having me, Stefan. Uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. So look, Eduardo, I know you've got an interesting story to tell us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about you know, how you first got into all this Sure. Um, so basically, my I 
dipped my toes into the technology um, back in 2012. Um, that's when I first heard about Bitcoin. I was a freshman in, in college. Um, basically, I was looking for um, something to, you know, maybe earn a side income. So uh, I started mining Bitcoin with, with my GPU. It was still a thing back then. A Bitcoin was worth around maybe six to anywhere between six to twelve dollars. My mom has had just gifted me a GPU, a good GPU, a good video card. So I started mining the thing, and um, a, uh, I, I installed my first um, Bitcoin wallet, which was Electrum, and it was a fun experience. Unfortunately, I stopped. Uh, maybe one week, one or two weeks into the mining, uh, the the mining uh thing, um, mostly because I was so afraid of burning my GPU that I, I had to stop, uh, unfortunately. So that's um that's why I'm not like a millionaire right now. It's pretty much because I was scared of burning my GPU. <laughs> um, it's always a fun, <laughs> it's always a fun, uh, a fun story to tell. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you I, grew up in Venezuela, right? Yeah, I grew up in Venezuela. Um, I was uh, starting college. I was studying something very equivalent to computer science, um, and so that that was my my first uh, experience with Bitcoin or my Bitcoin baptisms, uh, baptism, if you will. Um, um, but then, yeah, I, I I stopped mining the thing, and um, I pretty much forgot about it. Up until 2015, in 2015, I was um, I, I was uh, three years into college. I was uh, looking for maybe an uh, an outlet because my my country's currency was devaluating at such a you know high rate, high pace. The country was entering economic turmoil. The uh, the the oil the price of oil was was plummeting and and that's when everything went went downhill for for Venezuelan citizens. I mean, you could see the signs of that the economy was going to turn bad back back in two thousand twelve. Uh, our country has been into has been under a currency control regime since two thousand two. So essentially, everyone was unable to purchase foreign currency, uh, unable to purchase things like the dollar. Or the euro or anything, so you when you couple when you when you pair a, a currency or capital control restriction um, with a government that is increasingly uh, spending more money than it that it can, um, basically running deficit deficitary economic policies, the result is that everyone loses because you know inflation goes up. The, the currency keeps devaluating at a higher a higher rate. So basically everyone was getting poorer by the minute. And um, it was a very sad thing to see. Um, uh, my mom was a nurse and she was working two jobs. And back in 2015, her, her wage uh, was pretty much um, something like $20 per month working two jobs, which is insane, right? Um, and, um, I started, I, I started, you know, I, I rediscovered Bitcoin because I was talking with a friend and, um, 
he said that he was uh, hearing about Bitcoin. And I, you know, that's when I, my, my mind clicked in. Hey, yeah, I remember Bitcoin. I, I, I think I have some store in a, in a, uh, in a seed somewhere in a wallet. And, um, and that's, that's when I, my mind clicked and, and I started to, to, to look at the, at, at the potential of this technology to solve many things in my life. I started that year, I started working freelance on the internet, doing like content creation, um, community management. And I was using these platforms like Upwork, uh, like freelancer, um, which paid, paid uh, the, the, the work with PayPal which was a very inefficient thing because uh, first of all, getting a PayPal account in Venezuela was pretty much uh, impossible. It was very hard because you need an international uh, credit card to activate the PayPal account, which was, uh, which was uh, uh, unavailable in Venezuela because of, the, because of the currency control and capital controls restrictions. So, Basically, I, you know, I purchased a, an activated PayPal account on the internet. I started working freelance on the internet full time, and I was getting paid with PayPal. But the problem with that is that um, the the rate, the exchange rate for PayPal dollars to the Venezuelan Bolivar, which is the currency of my country, uh, of my home country, uh, was really bad um, compared to what could to what you could get. If you sell Bitcoin into Venezuela and Bolivars, there was a pretty nice Bitcoin exchange in Venezuela back then. So basically, um, Bitcoin was the solution to my problems because if I, if I could get paid with Bitcoin, um, my uh, my situation will improve dramatically. So that's that's what I started uh, looking to. I started working for a couple of Bitcoin news websites. Um, like the Miracle, Coin Telegraph, etc., um, and I was working that full time, wasn't getting a nice income, and uh, and that's when I started to realize that the, the 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 real benefits of of Bitcoin as a currency, as a um, as a payment method, uh, as everything, um, and that's pretty much my my story back then. In 2016, I started working full time for Purse. Purse is a company that I, I work for right now. Um, still, I work for Purse. It's uh, um, I work there as a manager of the customer support department. Um, we run a we run a remote team of six individuals in the, in the support team. Everyone is paid with Bitcoin. Everyone is uh, remote in different countries. So um, working as a manager, I uh, I grew up into the role with. With Bitcoin in mind, every, every, everything has circled around Bitcoin in my life for the past years, and I think, I think that's um, that's a nice experience to have. I'm very lucky to to have found a job where I could get paid with Bitcoin directly. I'd love to touch on the exchange rate point you mentioned earlier because I think this might be a common misconception amongst people in like the Western world, when they see some news article saying, oh, look, people are paying $30,000 for a Bitcoin in Iran. And really, that's not right. What it is, or it sort of is right. But really, it's a reflection of the official fiat currency rate being less, oh, sorry, yeah, being giving you less than the actual black market kind of true uh, price for that uh, fiat money. So in this example, it's, it's that the government in Venezuela is 
giving you a bad exchange rate on Venezuelan bolivars to US dollars, for, for example. Could you outline a little bit on that exchange rate difference and what, what drives that? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's like you're saying the the regimes and and you know governments that apply this harsh economic measure that really doesn't benefit anyone. When they do this, when they restrict your ability uh, to purchase the any currency that you want, all sorts of you know shenanigans start to popping up in the economy. Uh, first, in the microeconomy, you know the day-to-day economy of, of people. And then that that results in really bad macroeconomic uh, um, problems. In Venezuela, the currency control restriction was put in place in 2002. Um, during that year, people could still access the dollar, but it was um, uh, that involved a very complicated financial transactions financial transaction where you you will have to purchase a stock that was uh, quoted in Bolivars, and then you bought the stock and you sell the stock quoted in dollars. So that way you could like use the stock to purchase dollars, um, essentially bypassing the currency control restriction. That was, that was our thing back in 2002, 2003. Um, but then the government shut that down completely. So um, pretty much the Forex market was closed down to Venezuelans. Um, when the go- when governments do that, you start to see black markets arise be- because that's inevitable. If you restrict the ability for people to purchase something, they will purchase anyway, just in a, with a black market. And the thing about black markets is that they're not transparent; they're opaque. And when 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 um, when a black market arises, you you see all sorts of different quotes or different prices. Um, traditionally. Um, people in Venezuela have uh, the majority of the economic activity uh, regarding currency exchange happen in the border between Venezuela and Colombia. Um, that's where pretty much um, that will be the economic center of this activity. Um, the exchange rate in Venezuela fluctuated um, significantly during the first years years of the uh, of the currency restriction, um, but things really started to kick in and, and worse uh, worsen significantly in 2016 because that's when the hyperinflation uh, started to kick in. And so, basically, uh, what used to happen in Venezuela pre 2016 was that the 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 country had inflation. But the currency devaluation was higher than inflation. So essentially, the country was getting cheaper for people with access to dollars, right? Because prices were were not going up as fast as the exchange rate uh, was going up. Uh, so that was a thing uh, back in 2016. Essentially, if you were getting paid with dollars, you were king because your expenses in the country were very low. But when the hyperinflation started to kick in, the um, that correlation inverse, and what what happened was that the country was becoming increasingly expensive, uh, more expensive for everyone, regardless if you if you had dollars or bolivars. Of course, if you have bolivar, uh, if you had dollars, the country was you still maintain some some sort of of um, of, of purchasing power. 
right? But for the people with with the national currency, uh, pretty much their saving got destroyed. Like my mom, you know, she has she worked at public jobs uh, she as a nurse for something like 50 years. And when she got her um, retirement check, um, she got, for those 50 years of work, she received like less than $5 uh, for 50 years of work. So uh, it's uh, basically the social security system, it completely collapsed because um, the currency just, it wasn't worth anything. So after 2016, everyone got impacted by, by the economic reality of Venezuela, even even people that were getting paid with dollars. Yeah, that must be incredibly difficult. So you're living in Argentina now. Were there a lot of uh, people who wanted to leave and work in other countries and send money back home? Yeah, so uh, I came to Argentina in 2018. Um, I moved here with some of my workers, um, the purse team. Um, support team. Uh, um, the company actually sponsored some of our flight tickets, which was pretty cool. And we we moved here to Argentina in search of of, of, uh, of a better future. Um, we we found a country that is uh, obviously uh, the economy is much better than Venezuela, but it still has some uh, some issues like people here. Um, the governments here have, have applied some of the same tactics like uh, currency control uh, currency control uh, and capital controls um, to avoid people from purchasing dollars because here the, the, the people in Argentina have experienced great economic uh, catastrophes over the years. This is one of the countries that have defaulted, defaulted the most in history. And people here are obsessed with the U.S. dollar because they know that their own currency isn't worth much. And governments, governments here usually they like they like to spend more money than they can afford, which causes inflation and currency devaluation. So basically, what we found here was a uh, uh, was a country similar to Venezuela in in how they run things in in the matters of economics. But the population is much better prepared than in Venezuela. Like people here, they are very smart when it comes to um, micromanaging their finances, and uh, um, they know that they cannot trust their own currency. And so people are very, very intelligent ab about um, managing their their network and, and their life savings. Um, people got very hit, hit very bad in 2002 and 2001, sorry, because the government at the time, they basically, if you had dollars in your bank account, they pretty much sold those dollars or took away the dollars that you have in your savings accounts and they gave you pesos, which is a national currency, at a super bad exchange rate. Um, essentially, um, taking away most of your um most of your wealth so that's why that 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 action it it send uh waves across a nation across the, everyone's mindset when it comes to the government and when it comes to their money 
um, people realize that they cannot trust the government, they cannot trust the banks. And so this country has a very, um, a very big mindset when it comes to cash. They like to use cash, not only because they avoid using banks, but also because they also avoid taxes by paying with cash. And so we, we found a, a very interesting country um, that has uh, all sorts of, of rituals and, uh, and customs when it comes to money. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Uh, I'd love to now jump more into the Venezuela-Colombian border aspect. So you were saying that uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on there in terms of Bitcoin trading. Can you give us uh, some insight into that? Yes. So I think... I think it's not only across the Venezuelan and, and Colombian border, but more across Latin America. But all, like like the saying that all roads lead to Rome, in Latin America, all roads lead to Venezuela. The diaspora, the, the, the number of immigrants uh, that left Venezuela is just so high. There's uh, There are a few examples like this in history. Uh, you could compare it to the Syrian migration crisis. Uh, but in Latin America, nothing like this has, has ever occurred uh, in history. Approximately 5 million Venezuelans have left the country. Um, there are 200,000 Venezuelans in, in the U.S., uh, a good chunk of them in Miami, in Doral, uh, city of Doral in Miami. And uh, you, you have more than 1 million Venezuelans in Colombia. You have, uh, sorry, more than 2 million Venezuelans in Colombia probably more and uh you have one million venezuelans in peru and you have uh 200 000 venezuelans here in argentina so uh and also in ecuador there, there's a good chunk of venezuelans there so every so basically you have all these uh venezuelan immigrants all across latin america they have family back in venezuela and uh their families the minimum wage in venezuela right now is three dollars per month like that's that's what you get three dollars per month of work which is is insane and prices in venezuela it's not like you earn three dollars and everything costs like a like a cent of a dollar no it, that's not the case um you get paid three dollars per month of work and everything costs the same as in the u.s because the uh in industrial production in venezuela is is, is in, inexistent it doesn't exist and uh everything is imported and they import it they usually import it from the u.s um you know things like uh, the u.s the turkey and all uh, other places um and so and so all these uh, all these families in venezuela they they have high expenses and low income they have to depend on the on the people that left the country on their sons or their grandchildren, um, their brothers who left the country in search of better hopes. So basically now you have all these people across Latin America and they have a need to send money to Venezuela. Um, obviously, a ton of businesses and uh, opportunities uh, for this use case uh, arise. Um, typically, people will have a person that they trust to send money to the country, um, and that that has become a big business opportunity. So what I what I specifically meant in my tweet about this uh, about this use case between uh, 
Colombia and Venezuela is that there's uh, there's a problem that the, the exchange rate in Venezuela is is essentially opaque. The exchange rate between the, the dollar and the Venezuelan Bolivar because it's a black market and everyone has a different price, a different quote. So there's there there are inefficiencies when it comes to uh, selling dollars to purchase Bolivars. Uh, everyone will give you a different price. So people in Venezuela have started to turn to the to Bitcoin as a source of truth when it comes to um, the exchange rate. So if you go to local Bitcoins uh, Venezuela, uh, so local Bitcoin is actually the main way, right? Also in Colombia, uh, local Bitcoin has a huge uh, trading volume there. Um, and usually um, what people will do is you have all these uh, individuals in the Venezuela and Colombian border that do their their business is to exchange uh, between currencies between Colombian pesos and Venezuelan bolivars. So many of those uh, many many people are doing this. W what they do is they um, they purchase your bolivars or sorry they purchase your pesos um, to send money to your family in Venezuela Venezuelan bolivars. So what they do is they use local Bitcoin as essentially as the backend for that trade. So they will take the pesos to a person in Colombia, and then they will initiate a local Bitcoin trade to send money to the person in Venezuela. And since local Bitcoin usually has the best uh, exchange rate, people are pretty much arbitraging that exchange rate because peer-to-peer um, peer-to-peer -peer trading is is big in the Colombia and Venezuelan border, and there are a ton of different prices, different quotes. So there is big opportunity to arbitrage the different exchange rates to take advantage of the fact that local Bitcoin system, the biggest uh, trading volume, and that's where the best exchange rate is. Um, so it's, um, it's a very interesting thing, though, what is happening there. And um, it's not only in the Colombian Venezuelan border, it's also happening all across Latin America, because if you want to send money to to your family relatives in Venezuela, you usually have to go through someone um, who you have to trust, uh, and that someone, um, that someone obviously has a, a, a process to send money to Venezuela to fulfill the trade, and um, usually uh, they will find the best uh, exchange rate through um, uh, through local Bitcoin. So pretty much my point here is that local Bitcoin is being used as the backend. Um, for uh, for exchange or for sending money to Venezuela, uh, it's 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 super crazy. It, it's super weird, um, but it's it's what's happening. Um, there's this guy. His name is Matt, I think. Um, Matt Albo. Yeah. Useful tulips, right? Yeah, exactly. Useful tulips. He did a research, a very interesting research, and on, on the um, on the local Bitcoin Venezuela uh, uh, story here. And he found out he found out that uh, what, there was a big blackout in Venezuela last year. That blackout left the country pretty much uh, uh, in a halt for uh, in a halt for like two days, three days. And what he what he found was that when that blackout hit, um, the local Bitcoin trading volume not only increased in Venezuela, but all across Latin America and also in Spain. Uh, which indicates to some degree that um, that 
there's most of the local Bitcoin trading volume that is happening across uh, uh, acr across America is directed or has or is influenced by Venezuela. And I think that the most obvious explanation is that five million Venezuelans left the country. So that they're all across these countries, they have the need to send money to the, to Venezuela. So I think that's um, that's the most obvious explanation. It's uh, it's it's crazy um, that that, yeah. that that this platform is being used for um, basically as a as a settle, settlement layer, if you will, uh, for trading activity uh, back. Uh, from or to Venezuela. Got it. So let me just walk that through in my head just to make sure I've understood you correctly. So the diaspora of Venezuelans around, you know, elsewhere in South America and some in Spain, they are basically wanting to send money back home to their family in Venezuela. But the problem is they can't directly spend send the Bitcoin or they can, but their family might not be able to directly spend it. And so what you're saying is they typically will use local Bitcoin to uh, buy some Bitcoin, send it to a intermediate person and they may be say on the venezuela and the colombian border and they will do that trade um from bitcoin back to the venezuelan currency and then be able to give it to the family have i understood you correctly there or can you just walk through the flow yeah that that's that's pretty much the process so it, it really varies between between uh, persons so in my use case in my own personal experience I know what Bitcoin is. I know what local Bitcoin is. I know how to use a platform. I go to, I traditionally what I do is I, I log into local Bitcoin. I uh, initiate a trade with someone on the um, Venezuelan Bolivar BTC pair uh, in the Venezuelan market. I initiate a trade with someone that has the same bank account um, that I want to transfer my money to. I initiate, a, I initiate a trade with that person and I tell the person, hey, I need a bank transfer for 1 million Venezuelan Bolivars to this bank account, which can be my mom's bank account or my mom uh, or my own bank account. Um, and that person will fulfill the trade. They will send proof that he did the trade. I can log into my bank account to check or my mom's bank account to see if the money arrived and I release the escrow, I release the Bitcoin to that person. That's my flow, that's my procedure because I know how to use it. But the thing about local Bitcoin is, um, local Bitcoin is not so easy to use. It can be scary, their, their interface is, is not very um, UX friendly or, or usable for normal people. So that's, that's when the traders, that's when the intermediaries, that's when other companies are taking advantage of this, that local Bitcoin has the best rates, but not everyone can use it because not everyone has Bitcoin or not everyone uh, knows how to navigate around the platform. So they will fulfill the trade. They, will, they have the Bitcoin um, and they will sell the Bitcoin in the platform and they will charge in, in cash. Uh, if, if you don't know how to use the platform. So my point is that the, the, the local Bitcoin uh, platform is being used as a, um, basically as a, I don't know, transfer as a service or bank transfer as a service. That's pretty much what, 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 what I'm getting to. So I think there's, there, there's definitely a big potential for people uh, and, and companies to, to build businesses on top of this. Uh, or build uh, use cases or, or and whatnot uh, on top of this. 
Um, and so I think I think that's the biggest story that um, that is unfolding right now. Um, one year, two years ago, the the Bitcoin ex volume in 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 local Bitcoin Venezuela was uh, obviously during the bubble, 2016, uh, December 2016. That's when we saw obviously the the biggest trading volumes, right? Um, but the the trading volume has started to pick up pace again. It's slowly uh, going up, um, and it's very steady. And um, we have heard reports uh, that the uh, the platform, the local Bitcoin platform, is is also being used more and more by businesses in Venezuela uh, because they need to um, they need to get money out of the country or back to their you know, bank accounts in the U.S. Um, the economy, the Venezuelan economy has dollarized com completely. My mom, who uh, never touched a, a dollar bill, she now she's now charging dollars for, she does um, some artisan work. Um, she paints, she does all, all these sorts of different things. So she sells her work and she gets paid with, with dollars in cash. And she now... She can go. She now can go to a to a, um, a supermarket in Venezuela, in in my in my home city, in my, my hometown, and she can uh, spend dollars effortlessly, effortlessly, and uh, everyone will accept it, which was unthinkable maybe two years ago, um, because uh, legally speaking, uh, it was it was a crime to sell things in dollars. Everyone did it, but but it was. It was technically illegal, uh, and now everyone is 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 doing it. The the economy has dollarized completely. The dollar is being used by everybody. You will see kids going to a to a more a, a brick and mortar shop or you know the mom and pop store um, in the their, their homes uh, in the corner of the street, and they will pay the 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 store owner with dollars, which was crazy. Which is crazy, right? the the economy has switched completely to to, to bolivars yeah that's really uh, interesting insights and i'm curious do you see or hear of any direct bitcoin commerce like people just directly charging bitcoin for things or is it that people like i understand most people would still want to use us dollar in that case so um we i have heard reports uh it's, it's actually a public news it's not a secret there, there is a big supermarket chain in Venezuela that started to accept cryptocurrencies. It's a store called Traki. Um, they started to accept uh, Bitcoin, other altcoins like Dash and whatnot. Um, there have been efforts by you know the company and people running Dash to market Venezuela as the main use case. Uh, for their currency, uh, but I think that I don't think they're being honest with, with their with their um, with their marketing materials and promotions because the country in itself is not using. I mean, they're using the fact that many people or ma many stores are accepting Dash as a sign of growth. But eventually, if you go to the actual place and you try to to pay with Dash. Or even sometimes with Bitcoin, um, the the retail seller or the person, you know, the, the cashier, 
she doesn't she or he doesn't know what you're talking about <laughs> you know they they the it's it's the owner who has the knowledge about these cri cryptocurrencies and will uh um charge you in, in, in and get, and take your your crypto but the owner usually doesn't is not in the place so uh i think that they, they were very dishonest uh with their with their whole promotion, with their whole promotion, promotional thing about Venezuela, I think, I think, I think Bitcoin, as in itself, and all other cryptocurrencies, um, they're not actively being used for payments in Venezuela. Like people are not going to their stores and the supermarkets, and they're paying with crypto. That's not happening. Maybe if a big store like Traki, the, the main one that I was talking about. Maybe they receive a, a Bitcoin payment payment once per week. I don't know. I, I don't think that's that's something that is being um, uh, that's reaching a, a point of you know mainstream mainstream usage. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think the bigger story and and the biggest use case is is sending money in outside the country, um, and the whole remittance business, the whole. Uh, forex trading activity that's happening in in the Venezuelan Colombian border. I think that's the main story here, and um, I, I think the whole uh, payments and, and and businesses taking crypto directly. I don't think that's uh, that's the case. I don't think that it, people are paying with with crypto in Venezuela. Got it. And uh, the other question I had was around stable coins, because if the economy is dollarizing, someone might say, well, why not use stable coins? Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, definitely an, an interesting use case. People are, especially here across Latin America, it's easier to market or to sell a stable coin to people um, instead of you know, selling them a cryptocurrency. I think here in Argentina, I think that's the biggest it could be the biggest market for a stable coin. Um, there are some attempts. Um, there are some startups here that are working on that. There are a couple of Argentinians who work for the maker team, right? And they're big promoters of DAI. Um, you have, um, there's a startup company called Cello. Cello says they're building a stable coin. They have a headquarters here in Argentina. I think there's potential for it. I, I, I But the problem is, it's it's still the same barrier of entry, the long learning curve, because a stablecoin is just a, it's pretty much the same thing as a cryptocurrency. So um, that you still have the complications of teaching people how to use it. Uh, and again, here people here in Argentina, and I think you could say that all across Latin America, they don't trust having dollars in the bank in the bank accounts. They want to have the thing. In, the cash, the, the bills in their hands. So I think that I think beating that cultural um, uh, that, that cultural rule or, or that that sort of um, um, on uh, that mindset of people, you know, wishing to have the physical cash, it's very hard. is a very hard problem to crack. Um, I I think if anything. Um, the biggest selling point that, that, that you could use to attract people to the stablecoin thing is uh, with DeFi, with you know the compound, the interest rates that you can get uh, by uh, 
lending your stable coins. If you if you if you tell people, hey, you know, there's this digital dollar and you can keep your money outside the banking system and outside the hands of the government. I think that's a compelling point. But if you tell them that on top of that, they can get, I don't know, 4.5% annual interest rates on their deposits if they keep the money uh, in a decentralized, pool, decentralized lending pool like Compound or any other, I think that's that's like um, um, a more... Um, a, a more compelling a, case, a, right? A more compelling case, yes. Yeah. Um, it, but it's still it's hard to market. It's hard to to explain people what that is. It's it's very hard to explain the risks, you know. Um, so eventually, I think I think the potential here um, is is if you if you want to sell stable coin, you, you have to also sell the lending and, and annual interest rates so you can get with, with a stable coin. I think that's the biggest. Uh, the the best thing that you can do yeah yeah uh one other point i was asked i was keen to ask you about around the border trade aspect of it are these in-person you know cash trades or are these more like bank transfer i think you you talk through a bank transfer example and then the question is are you know is the government clamping down on that are police stopping it or you know does the government otherwise care that people are using it so um the the majority of the volume, the transactions, they take place via bank transfers, um, the banking system. Um, the government has made attempts to clamp down on on, on people's bank accounts. Um, there, during during the last two to three years, um, they have increasingly blocked more and more bank accounts. People have had to go to the bank branch and explain to the manager why there's so much money um, entering or exiting their bank accounts. Usually, my dad actually, the, he had that experience. His bank account was uh, limited. Uh, it was rate limited. Um, if you tried to send him um, a, bank, uh, a bank account transfer over a certain amount, and, and the limit was very low, mind you, um, the, uh, the transfer would just simply bounce back. So he had to go to the bank branch and explain, you know, my son, he's living abroad. Uh, I live all on my own. I do not work. Um, he needs to send me money. And so basically he, he um, made a dramatic explanation to the branch manager to lift the, 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 lift the limitation out of the account. He did. He did that. But many people don't have, are not that lucky. So the government has, has tried to clamp down on bank accounts. The problem is that the it's it's like an arms race, uh, an arms race. Many of the exchange houses and remittance businesses and money traders in the border and all across Latin America, what they're doing is that they are renting bank accounts in Venezuela. So for forty anywhere between forty to one hundred fifty account, uh, one hundred fifty dollars. Per month, you can get a Venezuelan bank account. You can rent a Venezuelan bank account for from someone else, um, and use it to do your bank tra bank transfers. Um, and typically, uh, uh, typically the um, business bank accounts they're more desirable because they have bigger um, transfer limits. 
right? So these businesses in the Venezuelan border, Venezuela Colombian border, they're using rented bank accounts to do their business. Um, and uh, I think the normal population has um, had to get smarter about this. Like they're spreading out um, uh, the bank transfer. So instead of getting one big amount per month from their family relatives outside Venezuela, they're, you know, they're sending several wires across the month. It also makes sense because of the inflation, right? If you send money to Venezuela at the beginning of the month, by the end of the month, you will have lost maybe about 50% of your, um, of your value. So it doesn't make sense to send one big chunk of money. Um, I usually, on, on my own personal experience, I send money to my mom uh, once a week, uh, sometimes uh, bi-weekly. Um, and uh, my girlfriend, she sends money to her uh, mom in Venezuela once per week, sometimes twice per week to work around the inflation and currency devaluation. So um, I think there, there are tactics to get around this. Uh, now, uh, regarding the cash trades, peer-to-peer trash cash trading in, in the Venezuelan-Colombian border, it's uh, it's a risky business because of the you know criminality and, and insecurity that there is in the region. Uh, the border is a very hot zone. It's, it's where there you have paramilitary um, elements there, criminals, uh, also government sponsor paramilitary uh, personnel, personnel. But but pretty much the the border the border is is right now is a, is a bloodline of the country. Um, many of the imported goods come from the border, border and many um, many government officials and many military personnel they take bribes to let things in or outside the country. So uh, it's uh, it's not a big problem um, because everyone's getting their cut. Um, the government is government officials and military personnel they're getting they're getting their cut. They they take bribes in the border to uh, um, allow money in outside the country. There's big chunks of cash. Um, there are many um, parts of the border where you know there's smuggling going on. So the government has taken a very lax approach to to solve or tackle this problem. They um, they usually they they permit it. They allow it. Um, but the thing is that since they allow it and, and the military is in, in, in this business, um, there is also wars uh, to allow certain smuggling to go on. Um, there are many interests uh, across this chessboard. Um, and so the, 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 the board is a very dangerous place to be right now. Um, there's also there's also this interest, interesting um case that there are many people living in the Venezuelan side of the border and they go to work to uh, Colombia. Uh, obviously, this is this is not un unusual, right? Maybe in the U.S.-Mexico border, you see this too, you know, people living in, in Mexico, but they work to, they go, they go to work in the U.S. But in Venezuela, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's even bigger because the minimum wage is so low in Venezuela that everyone in the border that if they're able to, they will work on Colombia because the wages will be um, bigger. I'm also 
curious to know what is the impact of things like the Venezuelan Petro? Has that confused things for people? Do people just treat it like a pass-through thing and they don't spend too much time in the Petro, so to speak? Yeah, it's uh, you, you touch a very interesting point that I was hoping you to to mention. Um, so Petro right now, you could see Petro as a as a government sponsored uh, cryptocurrency that is, is really it isn't a cryptocurrency because it's completely centralized. The even the block the blockchain explorer it doesn't work. It's a it's just a website. There's no other. Uh, um, there are no other providers. There are no. Just, there's just one website that you can look up uh, for petrol transactions, and that website, if it works five hours per day, it's a miracle. Like it, it, usually, it's down that website. The you cannot consult. Uh, you cannot do queries for certain blocks. Sometimes you search for a transaction, it doesn't appear. It's it's a completely it's a complete mess. So. This crypt, this so-called cryptocurrency, is run by uh, by a company that the government contracted. Nobody knows what, what who this company is, what the employees are, uh, who built this cryptocurrency. It's it's a complete mystery. The only known thing, uh, and that's because it's is said in the white paper, is that there are several master nodes. Uh, apparently, this is uh, like a dash clone or something. Um, there are some master nodes. And those master notes are they're all in the same place. They're all controlled by the government. So there is no transparency when it comes to this cryptocurrency. Um, the other thing is that uh, the, 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 the petrol is traded on a couple of local exchanges. Uh, but due to U.S. sanctions and not only U.S. sanctions, but also the, the potential risk of, of running this unknown cryptocurrency in, in, in your exchange, uh, this cryptocurrency is not traded in big, big, big exchanges like Binance or, you know, Bitrex and and the the usual suspects, if you will. Um, so the, the 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 this this crypto is is uh, pretty much an attempt by the government to to get money because what they say is that one petro is worth sixty dollars, uh, which is apparently the price of a barrel of oil, um, and they say that. To back this cryptocurrency, they have allocated a certain amount of oil reserves, but the oil reserves are in the ground, right? And in it, Venezuelan oil is extra heavy; it's really hard to to process. It's very hard to extract. So basically, they're saying, "Hey, you know, we have the biggest oil reserves in the in the in the world, and we want to monetize that." So it's like a uh, my friend Alejandro Machado uh, said. Alejandro Machado is. is uh, is a guy who's working for with a project called the Open Monetary Initiative. They're doing research on the different use cases for crypto in Venezuela. And what he said is that the government essentially is running a, an initial country offering because the government is trying to monetize. They're trying to monetize resources that they cannot extract. It's very hard to, to extract that oil. There's not the, the, the oil output of the country has declined significantly in 2000. In the year 2000, Venezuela was producing 3 million bars of oil per day. And today, they're getting less than 700 um, bars of oil, uh, 700,000. So the, um, the oil output has decreased significantly. So what's the value, right? Where does the value come from? It, it isn't worth anything. 
Um, they're also saying that they're going to monetize the gold reserves and diamond reserves. Venezuela has several um, strategic minerals um, uh, reserves. There's still the problem that it's hard to extract. No one will invest in the country. No sane oil uh, industry company will, will invest to extract oil in Venezuela. So the value proposition is, isn't there, right? So what the government is doing is that they're trying to force down the petrol to people. There are um, many um, bureau bureaucratic processes uh, can be paid with petrol. Uh, at least that's what they're advertising. So if you want to get a new passport, and by the way, the Venezuelan passport is, a, is the most expensive passport in the whole world. It costs $300 to get a new passport. And it's uh, also, it's very hard to, it's very hard and almost impossible to get um, because they're not printing the, the damn passport. So pretty much you have people stuck, uh, pre people stuck all across uh, the world because they cannot move because they don't have a Venezuelan passport. So, um, so they're they're trying to um, they're trying to force petrol down onto people. Recently, like one less than one month ago, they pretty much airdrop half a petrol onto everyone who was registered uh, with uh, uh, Carnet de la Patria. So Carnet de la Patria is like an ID, is like a card, a document ID that uh, you have to sign up for. And people will usually give you free money if you if you have the the the, the I, that ID card. Uh, it's called the Fatherland's card or the Motherland's <laughs> card. I uh, I don't know what's exact translation. So the Fatherland's card, um, you have to get it if you want to get free money. Uh, usually the government will send uh, monthly bonuses. Uh, they're they're essentially airdropping fiat uh, every month to everybody. Um, with no regard to the cons with no regards of consequence with uh, um, with inflation and the currency devaluation and the mo relentless money printing that they're doing, so they're giving away free money and they're trying to do the same with Petro. They they recently they are airdrop half a Petro to every Fatherland's car holder, and and there were these designated merchants that accepted Petro, so basically long queues form in these businesses that were accepting Petro because everyone got a half a Petro for free. So the biggest victims in this, uh, with this airdrop were the merchants because they got paid with the half a Petro, but the government two days, or sorry, uh, five days after this uh, airdrop event, um, they stop the platform, the, the, the payment platform, and the Petro is pretty much on hold right now. Um, and people cannot sell their Petros. So basically, the merchants who, who, who receive Petros in exchange of goods, um, they cannot sell the Petros into, into the national currency. So pretty much they got, uh, got left with no stock because they, they sold everything because everyone, there was an incentive to spend this Petro. Um, and, uh, the merchants, they, they don't have stock anymore and they, they cannot sell the petrol. So this pretty much was a wealth transfer from the merchants and the store owners, the store owners, uh, to people who got the, the airdrop of the petrol. Um, that's, I, I think that first experience was, uh, revealing, um, was a revealing, uh, experience for everyone. 
um, because uh, I think it's very obvious that it doesn't, it cannot work as a payment system because if the government is going to be airdropping petrol every now and then, every, there's uh, this huge demand to spend it, but there's no purchasing demand. There, no one wants to purchase this thing, and so um, that inevitably will lead to 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 the petrol crashing in value, right? And the sad thing is that the government says that the petrol is worth sixty dollars, but on, on the open market in the couple of Bitcoin in the couple of crypto exchanges that trade petrol in Venezuela, it's worth approximately fifty to sixty percent less than the government advertises. Firstly, it's just that it's not a real exchange rate, right? So it's just like that same problem that the government just gives itself a really nice exchange rate, but the true exchange rate is much less than that. And the merchants have basically been left holding the shitcoin bags, right? Like they had to, you know, they had to give goods and now they're stuck with these bags that they can't even unload, right? So uh, it's a very unfortunate situation. Uh, So turning, I guess, back to more Bitcoin uh, and you know, Bitcoin apps and so on. Have you seen any use of Lightning as an example or things like Phoenix app, Phoenix wallet? Um, no, not as, uh, not recently. Um, what I've heard is that there, there is a company in Colombia called Value. They're, um, they have this really nice app for people to exchange pesos into Venezuelan Bolivars. So, you you sell your your uh, Colombian pesos uh, via the app, and you go to a to a, um, a storefront that will take the cash, and your family relative will receive bolivars in less than an hour. That was a very nice use case, and although for the for the user is it's nothing Bitcoin related because they don't see anything about Bitcoin, but on the back end, the, the company will use. Uh, they will use things like Bitcoin, local Bitcoin, and any Bitcoin exchanges to fulfill the trade and to send money to the person in Venezuela. So I think that's a very nice, a very nice and interesting use case, right? You use Bitcoin on the back end, nobody has to know about it, uh, and it fulfills a purpose. Um, now, regarding the more Bitcoin-centric aspect of things, I haven't heard of any um, innovations going on in the country. Um, regarding Bitcoin, um, I know that there's obviously there's more and more interested to purchase it, to purchase Bitcoin, um, just to um, protect your your you know your network, your wealth, because of your the Venezuelan Bolivar is just devaluating every day. Um, but apart from that, the innovation is pretty much clamped it down because the country is such an a turmoil state that there's there's uh, um, there's no time left to think about innovation. You know, people, um, programmers, uh, professionals in the country, the, the few that are, that are still there because the majority, they just left the country. The few of them that are they're there, they just work for companies you know, on the outside. They do freelance work um, for companies in the U.S., for companies in Latin America. They get paid with dollars and they don't have time to think about um, solving the situation in the country. Now that there's uh, there are several uh, there, there are several wallets that you can use. Of course, um, I think mobile wallets have have real power to penetrate the market, um, uh, especially like um, 
privacy privacy center walks like samurai um they they you have a very interesting use case there because um having a mobile wallet means that you can pay anybody that you encounter um but also you have to think about the fact that um venezuela is a very insecure place so your phone can be stolen at any time um and so you have to build uh you have to build products for that you know like with samurai wallet you can um you can do stuff like disable the wallet with uh via sms um that they have all, all these uh privacy features and and they are they have they have think about the wallet from the aspect of an, an adversary right and and also you have um you have the potential to uh, build stuff that will allow people to um, to purchase the currency. Uh, I, I mean, to purchase Bitcoin with the with the national currency. There, there is the opportunity to build local exchanges. You have the opportunity to build uh, maybe exchanges that have a better UI than, than what local Bitcoin has. So I think there's there's room for innovation. There's room for products. But um, you have to think from the you have to think the most basic use cases because you cannot go too too far because the economy is not in in, in such a place to think about advanced use case. People don't have enough money to be um, messing around with, with with crypto. The fees are high, sure. Uh, so you have to think about that. So there there's there are many things that you have to think about when building products. Um, my friend Alejandro, who who has been working with the Open Monetary Initiative, they have released they have released research on this and how to build products. Thinking about Venezuela, they have they have found out that if you want to build something, you have to think about the low bandwidth that you have. The internet connectivity is really bad, so you have to think about that. You have to think about the fact that um, that phones they run on all software. They, you have, they, there's all Android phones uh, phones there. So you have to build lightweight apps, apps that can um, um, that can run uh, on low bandwidth. So th- there are all these prerequisites. So it 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 leaves very uh, very few room for innovation. It, it's it's very complicated. I think that the main use case that we have to um, that we have to think about is is just uh, Bitcoin as a sort of value. And Bitcoin as a way to move money inside or outside the country. I think that's a main use case. I ramble a lot, sorry about that, but yes, I think it all comes down to to getting money in or outside the country. Yeah, and so I presume then you, we are seeing more people who would like to hodl Bitcoin, right? Like use it more as a longer term savings. Uh, alongside that, uh people considering things like you know key management backups and so on is that uh is that something that you're hearing advancing in terms of people learning how to use um backups and sort of storage longer term storage um not so much um there's uh there's plenty of opportunities to think about that i have heard about someone that there was someone who told me in a conversation back at I attended DEFCON 4 in Prague, um, that was in 2018, and um, I had the chance to speak about the Venezuelan situation with with Alejandro, with my friend Alejandro, 
um, we did a presentation there and I, I believe, I want to believe that it made a, um, it made a good impact on people that attended the conference. And when I, when I left the, the, when I left, when, when we finished, when we finished our presentation, a, a ton of people, you know, they, they approach me and they say, um, Hey, how can we build stuff for this country? What we can do. And there, there was this guy who presented me with the idea of maybe having like physical, um, physical cards or physical, uh, items that hold Bitcoin, right. And that you can give to someone else that someone else can, um, scan the, 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 the item will have, I don't know, like a private key built in, uh, like, uh, that you can sweep and scratchable cards was also, uh, an, um, uh, a discussion was brought up, um, in that presentation. So, uh, because that's someone that people are used to, right? Right? People are used to exchanging physical things. They're used to money um, on a day-to-day basis. It's a physical thing. It's a, it's bills that you touch that that you that you give to someone else. So, I think there there, there can be an opportunity to um, convert crypto in a physical thing. Um, um, I th- I think that's uh, that's a nice use case in terms of private uh, in terms of key management. That's a very advanced topic. I don't think uh, we have to uh, we have to think very deep about these issues. People, normal people, people they get scared when they say a Bitcoin transaction. I sometimes I still get uh, sometimes I'm still a little bit bit scared when I send a Bitcoin transaction. Right? It's 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 something you feel in your guts when you when you move a large portion of your of your of your wealth from one address to other address when you send money to from to someone to pay uh for something and it's a big payment you still get some tingling sensation in your guts when you send that transaction i when when we reach a point where we don't feel that tingling sensation in in our stomachs i think that's when that's that's the point where um where we can feel at ease uh, right when we have built things, products, and services that will allow us to make Bitcoin payments or crypto payments um, without that that awful nagging feeling that you can lose everything if you type something wrong, um, it's very hard to achieve. It's very hard to to get to to a point like that. Um, for normal people's for for normal people, sorry, uh, they don't it's very hard for them to grasp to grasp the grasp the concept the concept that um everything is is all all that that they have is in a 12 uh in a is in a series of 12 words and if they've lost that those words all their money is gone i think i think that's it's a very hard problem to solve i don't think there if you want if you want the absolute uh the absolute privacy if you want to be in control of your wealth it's inevitable you will have to um you have to think about storing your own money you have to think about um securing your own your own private keys you have to think about about all of that so we either we build things to allow normal people to use crypto but that will also um that, that will also um sort of like corrupt the 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 principles of Bitcoin, you know, the principles of of self custody, um, or we teach everyone to be a self custodian. We teach everybody about the importance of of storing their own Bitcoin. We teach everyone to be 
basically libertarian. <laughs> we have to <laughs> teach. So th that that's pretty much it. You have to you have to you have to convince people to um, you have to convince people to take up the responsibility of securing their own wealth, to securing their own money, and um, I think we have to focus more on that uh, because we have we have a couple of good. Uh, solutions right now for like wallets um you have big companies like coinbase uh coinbase is a company that has received a lot of critics uh across the years ever since i joined the space in 2012 everyone was always complaining about coinbase um it's uh coinbase is pretty much an enemy of of uh, every um bitcoin maximalist or people that is very focus on the self-custody because they're this big U.S. corporation, big company. They're growing. Eventually, they, be, they will become, a, um, well, they're already, a, I believe, a multi-billion dollar company. Uh, but it will get to the point that they're too big to fail and they will get to a point that will concentrate the majority of, of, uh, of Bitcoin in circulation. Um, and so they that, that company, Coinbase, they have... They have simplified a lot of things for people, right? And if you get too comfy um, it, 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 and they go bust, then you know you will lose everything. So, but they have done a good job in terms of UX, in terms of ease of use, in terms of if you want to purchase Bitcoin, uh, if you want to introduce Bitcoin to somebody in the US, the easiest solution for them to purchase the the the, the coin, the, the Bitcoin is is through Coinbase, among other. Of, of course, you have other providers. Um, so um, I think that's that's problem number one, right? Who who do we trust? Do we do I trust myself or do I trust someone else to hold my coins? Of course, the preferred solution is to trust myself and do my own custody. But if I'm not a if not if I'm not careful, I can lose everything. Uh, and the second the second problem is how to get Bitcoin, how to purchase cryptocurrency. Um, I think. I, Yeah, I've been in this space for a long time, and in 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 the span of seven years, not much has changed in terms of fiat on ramps. If you want to purchase crypto, it's still the same companies. It's still Kraken. It's still Coinbase. It's still Bitstamp um, running the show. Um, and then you have the casinos, Binance, <laughs> the Bitmex, <laughs> the Bitmex. They're they're essentially casinos because they they allow they allow trading. Um, with just uh, signing up with with a with an email password combination, they don't have KYC. I mean, I mean they have KYC up to a certain point, at least Binance. Um, but they're just casinos because they don't have fiat on ramps. Because if they have fiat on ramps, then they have to be regulated. So I think that's a, that's a problem. The the on ramps. If you want to purchase crypto in Latin America, you have to go. Uh, you have to to you have two main ways. Um, if you are a, a newbie, you are a rookie in this space, you will have to go through a local exchange um, that is the most trusted in your own country. Here in Argentina, you have Ripio, you have Crypto Market, you have Satoshi Tango, um, you have different exchanges, but the quotes and the prices that they give you are very bad. So if you want the best rate, you have to go OTC with local Bitcoin. Local Bitcoin usually has the best rate. Um, and so... Uh, but then you have to deal with the with the uncertainty that you know that there's a counterparty on local Bitcoin, 
if you're a newbie, the, the UX can be very scary. So there are limited opportunities. There are limited, um, there are limited fiat on ramps, and the fiat on ramps that, that exist and that people can trust are very. Um, they they have very bad prices, so it's going to be expensive to purchase uh, crypto. So that's uh, for me. That's uh, one of the most important problems to solve the the, the on ramps. And of course, you have the long-term problem of fungibility, which is a topic that I think will be um, will be big in the coming years. It's still something something that many people don't pay attention to. Uh, I mean, the regular users for them, a Bitcoin is a Bitcoin, but for for other people that you know, they they think about the long term. They think about the uh, what's happening right now with law enforcement, with with. Uh, with the subpoenas that are going on in this space with the companies and the crypto industry, when they think about the darknet markets and how they um, bitcoins uh, that come from hacks, the bitcoin that come from from drug dealing, that those bitcoin are worth less than 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 the bitcoin, the than clean bitcoin, if you will, the clean coins. So um, you have products like Wasabi, which is a really nice wallet that I'm using that allows you to mix your coin to do your to do bitcoin mixing. Um, and so I think this year we can um, we can really think about that. There are innovation in the in the in the roadmap. Um, maybe in the next couple of years it will take two to five years for Bitcoin to incorporate um, technology and features that will make uh, mixing coins more easier, more cheaper. Um, so the idea is to get to a point where one Bitcoin. Uh, one output is worth the same as uh, any other output, and that, um, and I think that's a big value proposition um, because a dollar is a dollar, and you can and you have two dollar bills, and it doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter if if a hundred dollar bill came from a murderer uh, than a hundred dollar bill that came from a from a farmer that you know get, they got the, their paycheck and, and or they get got paid in cash. Doesn't matter where that where that hundred dollars came from. We want to get to that point. Um, even if some people think it's immoral, I think I think fungibility is um, the biggest next problem for Bitcoin that needs needs urgent solving. Yeah. So I mean, the, there's a few points I can sort of extract from there. So in terms of building products that work for, let's say, Venezuelans, uh, it. Part of the challenges, if you will, are firstly, I guess, the cost. So the cost of having a hardware wallet and then even the cost of having like a more recent Android phone that can have, you know, the right, you know, the wallets that run all these different features and so on. So there are a few of the, I guess, uh, things to think about. Uh, From a more Argentinian perspective, do you see day-to-day, you know, Bitcoin spending, lightning spending, uh, is it more used in certain cafes or things like that? Um, there, there, there are a couple of places that um, accept Bitcoin. Um, you have Bitcoin ATMs. Uh, my first experience with a Bitcoin ATM was here in Argentina. It was, uh, it was something that blew my mind that I was exchanging Bitcoin into physical cash. It was an experience that I don't know. Uh, it's, it's one of those first experiences that you cannot replicate. Um, 
that's that when I did that ex that exchange and I used that ATM, I, I thought, well, how far have we come? Um, there, there are places that accept Bitcoin here in Argentina, sure, but they're, they're very, they're very niche. Um, if you go to Microcentro, Microcentro is downtown Buenos Aires, is where the big office, uh, office space buildings are, where the main, um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of trading activity, you know, trading desks and basically big business is, is, is in that place. But then you also have, uh, you have also the there there are individuals called um, uh, cambistas uh, and they have cuevas. So cambistas are people that exchange dollars uh, that exchange pesos into dollars and dollars into pesos, the, the national currency. Um, and cuevas is is a uh, is basically a, a a dark office where you go to sell your dollars. Or, or you go to to with your pesos to purchase dollars outside the banking system, uh, which is technically illegal, but it's it's allowed allowed. So all these people down there that you can see physical stores that, that say, hey, we accept Bitcoin, and you can see the Bitcoin accepted here payment. Uh, but in, in my experience, when I went to those places, um, they they haven't still uh, downloaded a Lightning app and. We usually we do uh, normal Bitcoin uh, transactions with normal wallets, so I don't think I think it's still very early um, for uh, the majority of Bitcoiners to catch up with Lightning. Um, there are some uh, innovation taking place here in Argentina. You have people, um, most of the people are rootstock. They are building their their own side chain and, and whatnot. They're here from from Argentina. They, I think, they recently moved to Uruguay. They have an office there, but they're from Argentina. Um, you have um, um, you have a dedicated uh, Bitcoin space, which is called Bitcoin Space. Um, uh, it's basically a build an office building with many startups. Uh, some focus around Ethereum. Some focus around Bitcoin. There's monthly meetups there's there's a lot of community building effort taking place in argentina um there's the developers of the moon wallet which is which has lightning enabled i think um and so i think there's innovation taking place but it's still too early it's too it's still um uh it's still very very small uh, as of now we haven't catch up with lightning usage yet um i haven't i haven't seen anybody um using it uh, as of now but there's there's potential there's there are very smart people working on that here and i think we'll get to that point yeah that's great to hear yeah there's a lot of uh good tools and things being built out so i guess that that's pretty much most of the questions i had did you have anything else that you wanted to touch on before we finish up i think we we cover everything i i i think um i think my my final thoughts on this would be the the technology the technology is in a very good place for for people uh, to use it as it is. Um, we have many we have many people using Bitcoin um, for everything. I myself I use it. If I can leave off Bitcoin entirely, I think um, I think many other people can do it too. And I think the technology as it is is good enough to serve a purpose. I can buy flight tickets with with Bitcoin. 
I can buy gift cards with Bitcoin. I work for a company that allows people to um, use Bitcoin for Amazon purchases. Um, we have decent Bitcoin exchanges. Um, I think that there's, there's, we, we, we came a long way, definitely. We came a long way, but we, we, we still need to solve um, very basic fundamental problems to allow normal people to use the technology. I think we'll get there. Uh, it's going to take a, um, it's going to take some some more uh, years of work, but uh, we will. And there's still the question: um, We'll see a big government um, actively trying to stop this technology. Um, will the economic uncertainties and geopolitical uncertainties that surround the world today uh, drastically affect Bitcoin? I think we will. I think when you see a president um, actively sending, not threats, but implicit threats to the head of the Federal Reserve to print more money. I think those those are wake-up calls. You know, those are wake-up calls. I come from a country that destroyed destroy their own national currency in an effort to um, essentially... Um, uh, essentially maintain power and maintain control of the country for as long as they could. They achieved so. They destroyed the currency. They printed money relentlessly. And they're, they're still in power. In Argentina, the same. The, the governments are putting currency control exchanges. Um, our ability to uh, find um, economic freedom freedom is being restricted. So we have to think about that in the long term. We, we have to think about our rights as citizens uh, in our respective countries to access any currency that we want, to dispose of our money as, as we want. Um, governments in Europe are banning cash. They're, 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 they're cramping down, clamping down on cash because they know that that's a risk. That's a risk because people can do with cash whatever they want. They want to, um, they want to, pretty much restrict every sort of venue for people to avoid taxes, and in that process, they're destroying our economic freedoms or our economic rights. So I think that's something to think about in the future. Um, I think that's something to think about. Um, uh, no matter what what country are you in, no matter if you're in Venezuela, third world country. No matter if you're in Spain, no matter if you're in, in Finland or, or Sweden or in the U.S., populist governments are popping up. Um, cash is being this is 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 on on a dead list. So uh, watch out, everyone! Everyone um, buy Bitcoin. I think those are my my closing thoughts. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and lastly, just where can we find you online? So you can find me online on Twitter. Um, my um, Twitter handle is Koliox. Um, um, that's where I hang out the most. Um, I usually share updates about what's happening in Venezuela, what's happening in Argentina. Um, and, um, you can also, um, if you use purse or product, feel free to reach me out. I'm the support manager there. And, uh, and yeah, I hope, I hope that, uh, crypto becomes more useful. That's our, our that's pretty much our motto in, in the company that we work for. We want to enable people to spend Bitcoin and, and, and use actively use Bitcoin and you can leave off Bitcoin right now 
I think um, we need to encourage that more. We, we need people to, to use Bitcoin for their day-to-day lives. Um, that way we can increase the usage of this beautiful technology. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Eduardo. Oh, thank you so much uh, for this interview. I hope the listeners had a, had a blast and had a good time uh, listening to my ramblings and bubbling. <laughs> Just a quick announcement, as Peter McCormack can no longer make Advancing Bitcoin Conference, I'm actually stepping in as the MC. So it's on February 6th and 7th in London. There's some awesome speakers there like Andrew Polstra, Andrew Chow, Jimmy Song, Stepan Snijirev. If you're interested, I think it'll be a fantastic conference. Go to advancingbitcoin.com and use the code LAVERA for a discount. Otherwise, as usual, you can subscribe, get the show notes, uh, find the transcript at stefanlavera.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels.